I'm Tim Gombas, and this is Faith Improvised. It's a podcast where I can think out loud and talk with friends about things that interest me. Books, films, sports, music, culture, politics, the wonders and complexities of being Christian in this world, and my academic discipline, biblical studies. You're welcome to email me if you'd like at faithimprovised at gmail.com. In this episode, Steve and I talk about the tragic violence in the Middle East and the importance of memory. Rather than make random comments about all manner of things, I'm going to just jump in to introduce my conversation with Steve from the past week. We talked a bit about the violence in Israel-Palestine, and I mentioned a few books that I found helpful in understanding just what is happening there. Uh, I've listed those in the episode notes. I also mentioned a documentary during our conversation that my friend Chris turned me on to, and I had forgotten the title. And he reminded me that it's called With God on Our Side. It's excellent. I highly recommend it. It's by a young evangelical who goes to Israel and gets to know some Palestinian Christians and learns more about the larger situation there. And he has his mind blown. He had been brought up in an evangelical culture that shaped his imagination to have a default setting of unquestioned support for the state of Israel. Also, Steve mentioned a piece by Anne Applebaum in which she wrote about how peace was achieved in Northern Ireland. That was an article that she had written in the, in the Atlantic a few years ago, but she also writes about that in her book, Twilight of Democracy, which I also highly recommend. As I said, in this conversation, we talk about the importance of memory and of taking the time necessary to do the inner work. So I wanted to get started in, um, this conversation, just talking a little bit about um, what's happening over in Israel, Palestine, um, especially over the last week. And I'm hesitant to say anything because it's just, there's so, there's so many things being said. There's so much noise and there's so much hoopla and so many unhelpful kind of comments. And it seems to me the worst, the worst response to all of the, the violence that we see like in newspapers on the internet, on television, the worst response is to sort of um, have a thoughtless reaction um, or to sort of give in to the spectacle, you know, and, um, and the thing that I, the thing I most want to do is just be quiet and lament and be heartbroken mm-hmm. and, and sad because yeah. the whole thing is just such an outrage and, and it's just so sad and tragic and it, it's, it's, and hopeless. Um, but a couple things to keep in mind, um, I don't think you can understand what's happening over there unless you understand the history of that land and the history of um, the Jewish people over the last like 150 years, especially going back to uh, the late 19th century and the rise of um, Zionism, um, which was an understandable response to, um, I mean, the centuries of persecution of Jewish people around, uh, you know, in, in different parts of Europe, Western and Eastern Europe, especially Eastern Europe. Um, but a great, a, I'll just mention this um, excellent book. This is sort of like the authoritative history. Um, it's, it's called, uh, it's by Mark Tesler, T-E-S-S-L-E-R, A History of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict. And it's really even-handed. It's recommended, you know, um, across, you know, different ethnicities, 
and it's a very even-handed, measured history. And um, it's interesting. I mean, he begins the book by talking about how the biggest myth that needs to be busted is that um, uh, Jewish people and Arabs have been sort of locked in this centuries-long conflict. That's just not true. There right. was peace, like, in that part of the world for uh, centuries, centuries. Yeah. But it's just a brilliant book, and he goes into the rise of Zionism, and um, it's just really interesting. It's like sort of a global, I mean, a, sort of a big-picture book. But what I think is also interesting, I mean, there's obviously there's probably a lot of things that we could suggest as far as resources, yeah. but there are a couple of really interesting books, I think, to, that are more personal. And uh, one brilliant, I don't know if you've ever read this, it's called The Lemon Tree by Sandy mm-hmm. Tolan. And, I have not. Uh, it's uh, the subtitle is an Arab, a Jew, and the heart of the Middle East, and it's a really fascinating account of um, uh, um, an Arab person, uh, a Palestinian person who has uh, driven off their land, and they go back to visit their house, and the friendship that develops between the Jewish person currently living there and this Palestinian. It's really, really interesting, and um, it, it's sort of, it, you know. It's a more personal, instead of like a global historical kind of a thing, it's a personal account and really it makes it personal. It's a beautiful story and, and a heartbreaking story. And then uh, this book that I thought was just um, eye-opening, especially for American Christian people, but I mean for anybody, but it's called Blood Brothers by Elias Shakur. Uh, the subtitle mm. is The Dramatic Story of a Palestinian Christian Working for Peace in Israel. Mm. It's published by Baker Books. So it's a um, it's a really again a fascinating very eye opening account um, of uh, well I mean just basically what it says a Palestinian Christian that's working for peace someone who just yeah. loves Jesus and mm-hmm. is heartbroken at what's happening there and is working for justice and I think yeah. that that's what a lot of people don't realize is that there are so many groups in Israel Palestine um, uh, interfaith groups non Christian groups. Uh, groups of no faith at all, um, yeah. Christian groups that are working for peace, like Jews and Palestinians, or I should say Israelis and Palestinians, that are working together. And right. you know, unfortunately, there are, um, just like here in the States, there are, um, what do I want to say, demagogic, demagogic, whatever, however you say the word, demagogue figures that are, that are yeah. sort of... Um, sowing unrest and discord to improve their political fortunes. I mean, just before we got on, you were mentioning one. I mean, I don't want to say too many names, but you mentioned one and he's, he's responsible for much of, uh, I mean, there are a lot of responsible parties, but he's responsible for stirring up trouble in the late nineties, two thousands. Yeah. Ariel Sharon was in Jerusalem when the Al-Aqsa uprising happened in 98, I believe it was. And, uh, yeah, it was just because he flew a flag in an area that was highly offensive. And guess what happened? People started getting upset. But, it, yeah, it's a sad cycle over there. But there are so many. Yeah, I was thinking as you were speaking about that Ann Applebaum uh, piece a a while about how it was that um, peace came to Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, And it was, uh, I think we just need to keep pushing peace, pushing peace, pushing hope. Not stirring the pot, waving flags, start pointing fingers. All that just does is just feed into the media political 
swirl of just craziness. Um, mm-hmm. But she was saying that, yeah, that, and, and that, that's really an amazing thing. It gives me hope. Yeah. It gives me hope for everywhere where there's strife and civil war and civil conflict that, um, cause when I, when I was in Belfast in the early nineties, I had, I went to, um, a, uh, department store that had just been car bombed. Yeah. And there, there were, there were armored personnel carriers and, uh, military troops in the streets with assault rifles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it was so weird because back then you didn't see that a lot unless you were in a place like Jerusalem or Northern Ireland, but in, a, in the United States. Now in the United States, you go to Washington DC and you see people carrying assault rifles. It's really a crazy shift. Yeah. But, uh, but, but now it is, it is relatively peaceful there. And, um, yeah, she, she was talking about, I don't go on about her, but she was just on a hopeful note. She just said that, um, it was people working in collective community projects yep. that broke down the walls of the, up the, then it was the Catholic Protestant divide and the, the British nor, um, the British Northern Irish versus Catholic Irish who consider themselves Irish. And anyway, that that's a hopeful thought. Yeah, totally. I think there there are groups. Uh, my friend Jonathan Greer, uh, when he takes groups over there um, for like educational tours, he spends an evening or two with one such group. Um, they are parents, um, Palestinian parents and uh, Israeli parents who work mm. to, uh, who have lost children in the conflict. Um, who uh, are working together for peace. And it's wow. just, I mean, yeah, r- really, really interesting. But like yeah. you said, embark on these projects together that are constructive, and people end up getting to know each other, and they end up yeah. uh, finding common ground and just kind of wonder, what is all this about? Um, yeah. yeah, that is interesting. I remember being in Northern Ireland in the the mid to late 90s. I think this was like in 97, and, um, yeah, just in the summer and the days are long there because it's so far North Yeah, and, uh, we were driving home one night, uh, just on the most beautiful summer evening. It was a Friday. We, we were out with some friends and we were making plans to drive up the next day to the North coast just to hang out on the beach. And, um, I'll never forget it. Just thinking, uh, you know, should I stop? for petrol now or just wait, you know, wait till tomorrow morning. And I, I just thought, well, just do it in the morning. Got to get, get home, get the kids to bed, drove past that shell station the next morning. And it was smoldering. It had been bombed that night. Yeah. And that, and, uh, getting up in the morning, opening up, uh, you know, the, the living room curtains and just looking at all these military, um, personnel yeah. just walking up the street. I mean, it, it is shocking because it's like, it's, it's sort of just like a, a Western country where everything, you know, it's very familiar to American eyes and all of that. And to see all these yeah. military personnel, I mean, fully armed up walking down the street is just a shocker. It's it bananas. Yeah. I just mentioned one other book. Uh, it's by, uh, I think he's a journalist named Ari Shavit and it's called my promised land. Um, the triumph and tragedy of Israel. And it's a really interesting, um, again, not like a global history or a, a large-scale history, but um, it's sort of a window into... You just were saying this before we started 
talking that there there are a lot of um, Jewish people in Israel that um, don't want don't want a conflict. There's a lot of disagreement no. about what should be done, and and yeah. this this uh, gentleman is is older. I mean, he's probably in his late eighties now, so he remembers a lot of what has happened, and it's a very mm-hmm. interesting window into uh, sort of the tortured mind of uh, Jews that live in Israel. Um, mm-hmm. The conscience. Um, I mean, I, again, I'm just trying to be very careful with what I say so I don't lay any blame. But he's one such person, and I think that's pretty widespread, that no, like they cannot escape their own history of knowing that um, their, their lives on that land depend on having um, shoved off into refugee camps millions of Palestinians. Yeah. And, and yeah. They, they can't, you know, you can go about your daily life as much as you like and try to just forget about it. But he, I mean, he's tortured really tortured it's, it's fascinating um in in the most tragic kind of way but i think yeah. it's i think it's really important to understand um the history of what's happened there um and i don't yeah it's under, it's important to understand the history of what has happened there and i think it's important to uh, as much as possible um build as much compassion as possible for everyone involved and and to just sort of have a heartbroken posture at violence, at loss, at, um, mm-hmm. it's horrible. Just what's happening is just horrible. It's hard to know what to say beyond that. I, I don't and it's hard. I think say. it's impossible as an American person to really grapple with this uh, without recognizing that um, you know we occupy land that I mean, we ha- American people have a similar history of having sort of um, uh, well. Just a big, big history of injustice. Yeah. You know? For sure. God. Lord have mercy. That's all I can say. Yeah. Pray for peace. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just one last thing. Uh, I think it's really uh, important. I I wish I could remember this title. After we're done recording, it'll come to me. But there's a documentary... Uh, my friend Chris turned me on to um, made by a younger evangelical Christian person here in America who um, is sort of raised in an evangelical uh, context to have sort of a knee-jerk pro-Israel posture. And um, he gradually gets to know some Palestinian Christians. And... uh, not only that, but Palestinian evangelical Christians mm-hmm. who cannot for the life of them understand why their evangelical sisters and brothers in America <laughs> regard all Palestinian people as terrorists. Right. And um, the documentary is kind of like his his own story of just sort of coming to grips with that um, yeah. and going over there and meeting loads and loads of people and finding out that it's a whole hell of a lot more complicated than he was ever told. Yeah, but anyway, um, talking about tortured consciences. Well, we're moving on from that, but talking about memory, uh, I just was um, in in kind of going back over a bunch of like what you and I have been talking about uh, over the last uh, five episodes or so. 
um, we have brought up a bunch of times memory. And um, like you have talked about this. You've talked about going over like the cards that you write down by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I mean, just last night um, while we were mm-hmm. enjoying an awesome uh, bourbon barrel aged beer, you were talking about how um, you, you're going back through like your journal, old journals from like mm-hmm. uh, 14 years ago. Yeah. Um, like, why do you think, like, wh- like, why is memory such a big deal? Like, why do you think that it's, why is it something that you return to constantly, like in comments? I just mm. was, I, I well, mean, let me just, I, I was thinking about this. So I'll just, um, I, oh, and actually in, in anticipating this conversation, I was thinking about how it is that like in the old Testament, there are constant calls to remember and like when something happens with biblical Israel, um, in in the you know in the the scriptures of Israel, when something happens that's significant, they like set up a standing stone, you know, to remember, or they name locations, right. Um, right. to sort of remember episodes, which I think is just really really interesting. And I was thinking, like, why is that so important to to remember, and why is memory so important? Is it is it because like um, the default setting, like the default um, riverbeds of your mind just kind of always run in certain directions that are unhealthy or unhelpful? Is it because like the inner noise in your mind and in your imagination um, sort of is always sort of, you know, defaulted towards something negative and unhealthy? Yeah, I think all of those things... I think there's a lot to it, honestly. Um, I think it functions like a lot of things on several, like some primordial levels, but then on some practical levels. Um, we, we, you know, I was in D.C. a few weeks ago with Allison, and uh, we went around the mall, and there's all these memorials. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't forget about us. Don't forget mm. the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which is one of my favorite. And, um, I mean, they're all... It's they're sad, they're heavy, but yeah. it, they're important because we need to remember. Gosh, <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people sacrificed a lot, and and I think that's tied to our human need to want to be remembered. Hmm. Um, when I was serving um, as a chaplain in the Navy, I was dealing with a very, very large mass casualty, and the families were just—it's so in, uh, inconsolable for everybody. Yeah, there's no yeah. sense to it. It's just madness. It's just heartbreak and tragedy. And I learned that the only thing I, I didn't say much. I, I just kept my mouth shut yeah, unless I was asked a question by a family member. But I ministered to a lot of really broken, broken widows and children and mm-hmm. parents um, of these largest mass casualty in Afghanistan. Put it that way. And what one thing that I found that I one of the few things I found that I I would I would promise the families just on a personal level is, well I've I've gotten to know I've talked to his his teammates and I've gotten to know a little bit about this person, and I will never ever stop telling as long as there's life and breath in me I'll never stop telling their story hmm. of what a hero they were what what a warrior all this, and that meant so much to him they they yeah. would usually just yeah. tear up and um, because we want to be remembered we don't. We, 
most of us will probably be forgotten. Yeah. But um, it's okay while we're while we're coping with this life. It's important to engage memory of our you know of ourselves and of of others who have preceded us and those who we walk alongside of. Um, that it's that that to me is one of the most comforting things. Mm-hmm. And I thought about. Um, you know, I, there was a there was a quote from an author that I really like. I won't belabor it, but he he said, "What what really lives on? What has an afterlife is is the mark we make in this life." And and he was in this case, he was talking about writings, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be journals or authors, because your works live on, and we want to live on. We all we all want to live on, and we want to. And, and by that, I mean we want our lives to have have lasting significance. Mm-hmm. So that's one le- level of memory that I just think is just deeply in us as yeah. humans. We want, we want to be remembered. We don't want to be forgotten. We don't want to be left behind. Yeah. We don't, you know, um, but also, um, I, our memories are so faulty. Um, <clears throat> this, this, this happened to me when I was, I was writing a, a memoir, <laughs> <laughs> of times in the military and I was trying to recall certain missions we did when I was serving as a SEAL in the Navy and um, I couldn't believe and it hadn't been that long really I mean it, had, it when I was writing this it's only been like six or seven years I mean six or seven years is a little bit of time but it's not like decades of time mm-hmm. and I I, I, I I was trying to give the most accurate account I could possibly give I didn't want I didn't want to, you know, sensationalize it. I just wanted to tell it exactly how I remembered it. And I was like four or five times on one particular mission that I thought I would never forget. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember did we do this first or was it and then I reached out to some of my my comrades who were on the same mission. Mm-hmm. And we be we were able to piece it together, but even they were like, "Oh, I didn't even remember that that you just told me." Yeah. And I'm like, "Man, so our memories are just faulty, and it's good." Like, I write I write stuff down, whether it's something I read that I think is wise and worth remembering, because I'll forget it. I guarantee it if I don't write it down. And then I I, I don't just write it down. I go back and I reread those cards. Yeah. And then I reread my journals. You know. Uh, as you mentioned, um, and it, I, I see patterns. It, it, it functions on so many levels. Like there are funny things that happen, like with yeah. family members. Like one thing that happened with my nephew on the beach, and our whole family is just howling with laughter because it's just hilarious. Like you can't make it up. Some of the craziest things our families do and interact with. Mm-hmm. It was just a delightful memory, and I would have forgotten it. I guarantee, I, I had forgotten it yeah. until I read it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was so funny. Um, and it was worth remembering, right? Yeah. Some stuff I write is totally not worth remembering. Um, but then also, like, uh, wise, wise, or no, no, patterns I see about myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's what I'm working through doing self-help and, you know, trying to, trying to get, you know, live the good life, li- mm-hmm. be happy about myself. Well, well, a lot of it is seeing patterns in my own past that I can't see when I'm in the midst of it. Hmm. I don't see these patterns, but, but now 20 years, I'm reading a journal right now from 2009 and I'm like, whoa, I see some patterns here. 
Mm-hmm. And that that speaks loudly to why I have certain frustrations that I'm still maybe wrestling with or trying to overcome. So, man, memory is just, man, it's huge. It's like, I don't know, it, it's huge because it's it's faulty, it's important. Um, I mean, I'm reading things from the Stoics that are just like mind-blowing. Hmm. That, um, it, A, it makes you thankful for the, the technology of writing and yeah, recording seriously. it. You know, yeah. Getting it down. Yeah. I just think one thing, I mean, uh, you know, we joke about Lenny from Memento. Yeah. yeah. But I think, um, and uh, Natalie, <laughs> don't trust Natalie. <laughs> um, but I think what's really, uh, I one of the things that I take away from that discussion <clears throat> is um, like how it is. I mean, you identified this in that conversation that we had several weeks back. Um, but I would not necessarily think this about myself, that I'm, I just assume the best. I assume the best about other people. Right. And I think that's sort of the other side of the coin from having, um, you know, a pretty low conception of myself um, is that I, 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 I understand this about myself. I know that I project the goodness that is in me onto other people and assume that they have the same heart or the same motives or the same intentions. Huh. Oh, and yeah. I've gotten burned. And, <laughs> yeah. um, me too. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, uh, that's the other, um, that's, I, I will just say for me, memory is important for that reason to remember, um, remember what, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I want to hold out hope for people that um, have, you know, I want to remember that wounded people wound people. And I want to hold out hope that other people can change. Um, but I, what, one of the things that I have a harder time doing, and that is a challenge for me, is to remember uh, what people have actually showed me about yeah. themselves. And, to, right. and to, to make note of that and to, um, uh, to not yeah. ever let myself not be sort of uh soft-hearted and kind-hearted but to sort of develop other um yeah to, to develop the skills of, of setting and keeping boundaries uh yeah and you know to kind of sort of uh, not let people take advantage of me who have in the past you know right um i don't know i think that that's for me that's been really really helpful uh and and why you know recently i've just watched memento way too many times you know because it's, <laughs> it's just like movie. it is when you when you really chew on it um yeah it has been for me that's for sure maybe you should take up tattooing <laughs> certain images on yourself i'm <laughs> gonna uh, write something backward on my forehead so when i look in the yeah. mirror you remember yeah. don't trust natalie wake up seriously man it's yeah it's, it's, it's frightening it's a, it's a powerful thing, man. It it really is. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. And also, um, that thing that you sent me several weeks back, uh, I, I I chew on that quite a bit. The difference between, um, on one hand, my own intuition, and on the other hand, all of the, like the inner noise and static. So like like um, my mind can just get going in a frenzy and it just, it usually runs down some negative pathways. Uh, but like for me, 
what's helpful is to actually remember things about myself or remember yeah. um, um, certain relational patterns or certain things that I've done or accomplishments or, or even like to pay very close attention to my own desires and my own mm. um, uh, just things that I, that I, that are priorities to me because I, there's certain yeah. lifestyle patterns that I fall into where I don't actually prioritize those things. So anyway, yeah, that's huge. I just think, it, yeah, memory is actually a, a really big deal. The more that I've thought about it, the more it really is the case, as you say, like, um, you know, cultures have ways of actually solidifying memory. And um, yeah, it's just a big part of like identity formation, mm. it seems to me. Anyway, um, I wanted to talk a little bit also about uh, uh, like that time that you you kind of do these exercises, the time that you set aside in the morning. Um, and one of the things, I mean, yeah, just say a little bit about that. Like, what's that habit that you have? Yeah, well, it, okay, so it, it comes out of, um, it, it really, I've been doing some of this here, here and there for a long time, not really being focused on it, not being aware of it. Um, but it felt good to me. I, that's why I did it. It, yeah. it felt yeah. good, and it, it felt like something I needed to do. Things like journaling, things like reading contemplative works that, that are meditative and um, not massive scholarship, not books that make your head hurt, but stuff that, that just speaks to um, of the good life, uh, trying, to, trying to take care of yourself, trying to you know, pursue the good life. Um, and then out of, when I, I went through a time when I was really sunk into, it wasn't crippling depression. Like I've heard of some people, but I was depressed and I didn't even know it mm -hmm. until a friend actually helped point it out to me. And she said, I think you're depressed. And mm -hmm. I was like, what? No, not me. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's below me people. to be, yeah, that happens to other people. And, I, and sure enough, I was in a bad rut and, and so I sought some help uh, through through a therapist who was really great, uh, a real angel uh, therapist. Um, and and you know there was a lot that goes to therapy. When you go to therapy, you do a lot, a lot of digging. Some mm -hmm. of it's not the most pleasant digging you want to do. But this one point, she asked me, okay, and, and it, I, I can't remember what frame it fit in, but she said, well, okay, tell me. In the course of of your week or, or or a day, even, what really brings you? What what when do you feel the most serene and just at peace with yourself? And I was like, oh, I'll to, to chew on that a little bit. Not the way that, um, how the way that. <laughs> and for sure enough, I I I said, well, actually, it's when I sit in I have a couple of places when the weather is beautiful here as you know where I live it's beautiful it's just a gorgeous mm -hmm. place to sit outside I always want to be outside when the weather's even if it's chilly and I have to put on a hoodie and so I want to be outside if it's not raining or snowing um and, or or a, a place that feels it's got good energy in my house and I just want to sit um and I, I'm like it's when I'm reading it's when I'm writing in a journal it's when i'm um really thinking about stuff on a on a practical level like wow this makes sense for how to live not 
theoretical stuff and um i've learned what i've learned about myself i mean so much of it's just self-discovery yeah like i need to know who i am and i don't i mean and i and and then when i when i get these insights that's why i need to write them down so i won't forget oh you're no you're not like that maybe somebody told you you were like that maybe that's that's what somebody cast you as that's Mm -hmm. not reality and the, the only person that really knows me is me Mm-hmm. And even good therapists will tell you that they're they're like I'm not going to tell you what to do I'm not going to tell you who you are I'm going to dig and I help you dig, but um, if you really want to be honest and that that takes courage yeah. it really does because you see the good the bad and the ugly in oneself. Um, I started to see that I needed to. Um, well, those were those were the times when I was most at peace, at, at harmony, whatever you want to call it, equanimity, mm-hmm. uh, and the children would say. Um, and she said, well, you need to block out time and make it priority. She goes, this is, <clears throat> her, her form of psychotherapy is called cognitive behavior therapy, and it's, let's develop a toolkit so that you learn to practice this. I mean, there's going to be days when, you know, you got to get up early to catch a flight, and it's not yeah. going to be, you know, perfect repose sure. and all that but 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 on on a on a on a weekly basis you know 5 6 days i try to make uh, out out of out of each day to she said you need to sit and carve out a time where you do exactly what brings you that kind of harmony mm-hmm. and then you know you've got to get on with your day you've got to do stuff that you'd rather not do and totally and I, so that's where I started, and I started carving up a time to where I, it was like a sacred space. And I'm like, mm-hmm. look, I don't care. I don't care what – this is my this is my space. Everybody stay away, yeah. and I'm going to guard it. I mean, that's that gets into what Pema talks about with, like, being a warrior, bodhisattva. Not, not fighting people, but being ruthless for your self-improvement because you're going to be better for the world. You're going to yeah. – you're that's going to go out from you yeah. in a in, – develop compassion um so um that's where it all kind of rooted um and i have my practices that i do um i can talk about a little yeah well i just what what was striking to me is um when we talked about this maybe a couple months ago uh and then even last night you uh when he said i you know i read i read what i want to read or i don't uh, you know, you got that 25 minute, uh, little window and you, you said, or I don't, or maybe I'm, I'm not going to read Maybe I want to, I want to go pick tomatoes or whatever. Yeah. But both times yeah. that you were talking about what I thought was interesting, uh, was just how much your eyes lit up when you were yeah. talking about that time, because you, you said like, how I, 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 that's my time to do whatever I want. Right. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And what was striking to me was um like well why don't what are the inhibitors of doing whatever you want it i just think it's really interesting that um like when when you to hear somebody else talk about doing what they want i think incites in some people all kinds of reactions mm. um i mean people that love you are going to be happy for you but i think it pisses people off yeah, because I think that I, deep down, um, in all of us, or at, at least it's widespread, seems to me, there are just we we feel all of the like inhibitions 
to doing yeah. what we actually want. And like you said, there are you know we all have responsibilities. There are people that we look after. There are things that need to be done, whatever. Um, but in it's it's so interesting having grown up in a culture like we have where freedom is such a massive value. We actually feel so little of it. Oh, totally. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting, and it's it's huge. Yeah, freedom is a word that gets thrown around in our culture, and I'm talking about North American contemporary culture. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're free to do this, we're free to do that, when we are absolutely not. And th- there, that's, a, that's the most loosely <laughs> underdefined word. It's like it's a throwaway word almost. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that hit me is that we we can if we're not careful and this this is just part of being in a in a corporate power structure with with henchmen who are plutocrats that we've we've complete we're we're cogs in this ridiculous machine that doesn't even give two craps about who we are as individuals and this is this is something that was a, a breakthrough for me and past period where I was very unhappy with the way the world was and who was leading the world and and then I, it just hit me I'm like look my job is inner joy for me mm-hmm. and I am not gonna give two craps about anybody who's never even gonna know my name mm-hmm. much less care about me and I'm not I am I'm gonna do I'm gonna fight like a warrior to not let whatever whoever that is that's never never gonna care give two cents rob me of the beauty around me the place where i live my dog my cat my friends good food i'm like i'm gonna enjoy it yeah and it's gonna be it's kind of like a rebellion the way i look at the time where i do whatever i want i i said and you know i do it a lot more and more it's infectious because my 25 minutes just started out and i have an hourglass I think it's just cool. Well, and here's why: because I leave my phone inside the house yeah. when I'm out doing in my in my spot, my meditative yeah. spot. I just leave my phone inside. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want mm-hmm. any disruptions. You know, it's funny. I've I've heard. I'll circle back. I've noticed recently, like I have to call the veterans line for like appointments because I'm a v, I'm a veteran. I'm, I have the VA system. And then I've started to hear it on all kinds of other, like, like support lines. You'll call, yeah. not having to do with necessarily medical stuff. But have you heard this yet? I, I want to ask this, and maybe your listeners might chime in on this. And it's it started to happen over the past, I'd say, three years. But I never heard it before that. Mm-hmm. The. The pre-recorded call before it will go to like your options of press yeah. one for whatever, it'll say, "If this is an emergency, hang up and call nine one one." Have you heard yeah. that? Yeah, I. It's profound to me. That is like a Why profound thing. It's like because I think I don't know. It, I think people like having your phone like people. That's a bigger, big one too, because a lot of people who I respect intellectually, Sam Harris and others, have said it's wrecking my way of thinking. I can't concentrate. I can't read for as long as I used to read. Oh, yeah. I'm glued to this stupid phone. Yeah, it's like I've got to instantly respond. Oh, it's a tyrant. Anytime I get a text or anytime I get a call from a noticeable number, and it's like you know, we lived for many, many years. Oh, totally. 
without having to respond instantly. Oh, yeah. If it is an emergency, you'd be better off calling. I'm not going to be able to help you walking my dog yeah. through the woods. Go yeah. call somebody who can really help. Yeah. If it's not an emergency, then okay, it's my space. Yeah. You'll have to put it on the back burner, and I'm just going to go on with what makes me healthy. Yeah. If it's if it's just a whiny complaint or somebody said something or I got offended, suck it up. That happens to me every day. It, yeah. But I'm not – it's not going to – I I don't – I want to put call. up – Yeah, I'm not on call, and I want to put up a firewall of resistance against – other people's bullshit that doesn't yeah. really even. I mean, if it's an emergency, call nine one one. Yeah, but if if it's not it's really funny, okay. So so I leave my phone inside, and that's why I got the hourglass because it's a just big like deal. And I want to have some time, and I want to have a marker of that. I mean, you could use an analog watch or totally. You know, you could use anything. I just think it's cool. I like. I like. I'm, it's I'm like a, an, old, uh, an, an older technology. You know me. I like stamps and yeah, catalog cards and books you know yeah i'm an old get as much wes anderson in your life as possible yeah that's right (laughs) i live in a wes anderson world but anyhow um i think what i'm learning and this is just to say on that point that's what's liberating for me about uh my walks i do not take my phone yeah i I even the other day i even uh, went and bought a flashlight because i didn't want you know because with the creeping darkness and yeah. sometimes I'm up, you know, two in the morning. I'll go for a walk at four before, you know, yeah. a couple hours before the sun comes up. And I've taken my phone before because of the light, but I right. don't want to have it on me. I don't yeah. want to have that feeling that like if somebody in another time zone calls me, which has happened, um, I don't want to feel that pressure right. uh, or the urgency. Like, like I am responsible for this. It, yeah. And it is not, I've noticed, and this was even this morning. I noticed, um, because I, I got going a little bit later this morning than normal, mm-hmm. uh, I noticed that I had to do the work actually to just not care if someone, you know, like if someone yeah. had to get a hold of me, I was like, well, for two hours and 20 minutes, I'm unavailable. But it's yeah. not, it, it's, it's, it feels good. It feels liberating. Like you said, it's like a rebellion. It's like a rebellion against... A culture that makes us feel it makes us feel this way. I, it, yeah, what it makes us feel like time is slipping away, hmm. that we're losing it, and and that builds all kinds of frustrations in it because we think ah it's out of my hands. I gotta act. I gotta do something. I gotta because that's that is the madness of the rat race we live in in this culture. Yeah. I mean, you go to go to Europe and go on go on holiday in Europe. And talk to people. I mean, there's this whole thing in Europe, you know, the slow movement. There's a whole book about it. Yeah. Slow TV, slow cooking. Yeah. I mean, leave it to the Europeans to point, put a finger on it and go, mm, not so fast. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's this idea. It's, it's, it's baked into us in our culture that if you're not doing something absolutely productive every minute of the day, then you're just yeah, you're worthless. Or you're, yeah, well, you're, there are manuals on how to get more out of your time. How to be more out of your time. You know, it's like how to absolutely wring every bit of joy out of your life. Right. That should be the subtitle. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) How to be more productive and suffer because you're going crazy. But yeah, yeah, it's it's really nuts. How to be a better cog. Yeah. But I just want a time when I can do anything. Um, Yeah, like you say, it might be I'm going to pick a tomato. I might go for a walk with my dog, but it's my time. 
and 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 it 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 ends up expanding into more of that time mm-hmm. to where I'm less and less clinging and gripping on to a life that I once knew. Man, it was yeah. Well, you mentioned it in the previous podcast. It's like being caught in a ministry program where you've got to keep spinning plates all yeah. the time. Yeah, and you just yeah. think, oh, I just want to die. I want to throw my hands up. I'm never. Yeah. And the problem is, is because you don't have anybody else's answers, but that's really what you're there to do. Yeah. In an unspoken way, a pastor is there to solve everybody's problems. Yeah. Now, they might not say it that way, but that's what everybody's yeah. expecting. And I saw that in my first ministry job as a pastor. I was like, whoa, yep. they want me to solve their problems. I can't even, I'm having a trouble solving my own. Yeah. Cannot and solve that's, your problems. I cannot solve your problems, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Only you can solve your problems. No, that's yeah. I, I think that's one reason why I think pastors, um, there's such burnout. I mean, you mentioned that in the middle of the pandemic, um, I mean, pastors were in a bad way. I don't know if they've come bad. out of it, but I think that there's such like slavery to um, uh, expectations of all their congregants. Yeah. You know, I mean, talk about people yeah. that are f- that the emotional experience is that they are a cog in a machine and that there is so little freedom to move and to sort of live and breathe. I mean, I, you have probably had this experience, but I remember uh, one pastor, um, their spouse was, uh, well, they were having a lot of trouble because they could never get time away to themselves. And e- he mm. was saying that like every vacation someone in their church i mean there was a someone in their church died and they had to cut yeah. so many of, of these kind of things short to get back to take care of things and it was like right it's brutal yeah it's brutal never yeah, can you sort of feel at rest no well no it's not there it's it's the opposite of that it's a grind you know eugene peterson he's a really wise man um passed away a few years ago but I'll never forget the most the profound thing he I think I've ever heard him say is a busy pastor is a lazy pastor. And yeah. I it yeah. took me a while to even get that. Totally. Is it so counterintuitive? It's so counterintuitive because of our culture. Yeah. Because a busy pastor is exactly what you better have. Um hopping and and then they're a wreck. They're an emotional wreck. This is why so many times they blow up and do yeah. You know, it goes crazy. Um, yeah, it was well, how, a would you, how would you unpack that? Why, why? Why did he say that? Why? Or like, what was his reasoning behind it? I think his reasoning behind it is, well, for okay, if, if, as far as I understand his perspective, it's that a a good pastor is steeped in prayer and study of the word and. And in ministering to those most at need, uh, but not starting all these programs, trying to yeah. grow the church, trying to do this, trying to be a community, whatever, trying to get into all these things where nobody can live up to that. Yeah. He's like, it's hard enough to just pray and and read scripture and get that in your blood. He, he would always say prayer and scripture, scripture and prayer. Mm-hmm. He would say that over and over again in many of his yeah. different writings. And he would say, because that what people want is somebody with their feet on the ground, rooted in wisdom 
and not in a hurry, not being frazzled and yanked in this direction and yanked in that direction. every direction, totally. Every direction. He's like a good pastor is one who's stable. And I've seen a few of them, but they are few few and far far between. between. Few and far between, but really good ones. They're a a freaking unicorn in our culture. Yeah. And that's why why so many... Yeah, the, that's why so many pastors just flame out. Yeah. They either do something crazy and some scandal, or or they just lose their pop. faith, walk away, pop. You get yeah, pop You are not. We are way. not meant to live that way. Yeah, it's the right. system that sets. It, it's um, it's yet another way that uh, capitalism has shaped the Christianity yeah, yeah. that we're familiar with, and that is in our culture is that it's all based on you know yeah. consumer expectations and consumer desires and all of that oh it it's was brutal. we had a business meeting one time when i was pastoring the first time i, I pastored twice uh, of a church and um business meetings good i i i wish i'd get sick every time we'd have a business meeting come around i'm like all i'm gonna hear is bitching yeah. the whole time it was like well pastor our giving was down this month we were below our budget or whatever. Yeah. And I just said, I mean, I was getting to the point. This is getting toward the end of when yeah, my ministry start, was. I was like, popping off. I was, I was, well, I was just being very honest. Yeah. I said, yeah. okay, Mr. Deacon, what is our church exactly? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, we're a charity. We're not a money-making organization. Yeah. We, If we're giving more than we're taking in, that's probably a good sign. And everybody just was like, whoa like nobody knew what to say yeah i'm like or are we a money-making machine yeah you you choose if if, if you say one i'm, I'm out of here but no we're of course we're a charity yeah charities don't always make money sometimes yeah. they lose money if you're giving more than you're taking in but anyway it's just that whole it is so baked into us we don't even think about it oh we think it's normal you think it's normal yeah, yeah. just buy all these assumptions but I know. I remember being at a uh, uh, at a, a church annual meeting and hearing, uh, yeah, hearing the rector break down the congregation into giving units. <laughs> I could not believe it. Giving I was units. Like, My God, this is what <laughs> this yeah. is what when you are up there <laughs> looking out on the congregation, you see giving units. <laughs> Unbelievable! That says it all, doesn't it? It says everything. The, that says a everything. unit of giving. Yeah, brilliant. Anyway, yeah. man, so much that uh, we left on the table to talk about, but we'll 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 hit it next time. As always.